Hello, and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay, a queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, aka Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsio123, aka Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vanderjesus. Oh, and today we are here to talk about Let the Water Hold Me Down. This episode, it's an embarrassment of riches. Oh, it totally is. Yeah, some great A moments, some great Mona moments. Uh, it really, to me, felt like we're we're heading into the the end game of season two here, officially with this episode. I definitely, definitely agree. And there are just this whole stretch of season two has so many just classic uh pll scenes and classic pll moments i mean this episode we have maya talking dirty to emily we have mona offering spencer a sweater set we have uh sparia flirtation and spencer frankly looking like she would not turn down the chance to make a thruple with aria and holden uh we've got haunted sinks we have maybe my favorite a message delivery system of the entire series which is live bait and we also have the continued absence of jenna uh the tragic demise of noel and mona's beard mance uh and we have spencer stealing from the blind Yes, and, and I also think this is an episode that really shows how much more powerful the liars are without the boys, because Spencer feels like she's like really kind of coming into the height of her powers here. Arya, until she gets derailed by the whole sort of fake date with Holden, is really much more invested in the mystery. Um, yeah, it just, it feels like the liars are, are they're so much more powerful together than with the the stupid boys oh my gosh so so true um also there's a lot of water imagery you know connecting this you know with the name and also with the previous episode that saw hannah uh tossing lucas overboard from the rowboat uh and unusually i have a couple of quibbles with some of the directorial choices which is interesting because the the director uh chris Grisner, I think, is the director of this episode, who also uh, directed The Homecoming Hangover and Save the Date and Monsters in the End, all of which I really like. Uh, but in this episode, hmm. I felt like there were a couple of choices that I thought were a bit questionable. Interesting. I'm sure we will get into them. Um, shall we, shall we yes. dive in? All right. So we open in the pretty quick aftermath of the last episode hannah is sitting in front of the uh hastings fireplace in a fluffy robe some sad music is playing as the liars kind of circle around hannah offering aspirin soup blankets hannah seems pretty shell-shocked here um she insists that lucas isn't in the lake that he can swim and he must be out there somewhere she says that she can feel it which uh i think is interesting foreshadowing of hannah maybe being a bit touched later as we see later in the series um the other liars don't seem so sure because there was no evidence of lucas and they think clearly they're thinking that perhaps he drowned aria doesn't say, says that she doesn't see lucas as being violent because as we know aria has a blind spot when it comes to men behaving badly and seemingly innocuous men actually being very very dangerous um hannah admits that lucas is violent he was the one who destroyed ali's memorial she kept this secret to protect him, which I find really interesting. She seems not at all apologetic about the fact that she kept this secret when the other liars kind of call her on it. 
Uh, she doesn't want to really talk about this anymore. She has a headache. She wants to take some aspirin. She goes to drink some water from her water bottle, but her water bottle is full of lake water. Oh, my goodness. Good one, A. Uh, Hannah recoils. She has, in fact, swallowed the lake water. And uh, A, I'm sure, is is very pleased with themselves. Yes. Um, I really feel like drinking water bottle water that has gone off is truly the worst. Um, and just the fact that the water, it looks muddy. It looks like it probably smells like algae. They, they do a good job of making it look really gross. But also to the point of like, oh, Hannah might have noticed... <laughs> that it looked a little a little unusual uh, before she drank it. It's, of course, followed up by the text message, uh, something to the effect of, like, uh, wanting Hannah to choke on the lake water, bitch, uh, which the liars probably think this is the worst food or beverage thing that is going to happen to them in this episode. But just you wait. <laughs> A's got something in store for you, ladies. Oh, yes, yes. Um, post-credits presumably the next morning uh ashley marin is the only parent who cares when kids almost maybe die at rosewood parties she wants to call lucas's parents to take some responsibility although apparently lucas did contact them to let them know he's okay despite having not yet returned uh hannah does not want to talk about anything lucas related and bonus points for when ashley asks if there was drinking at this party <laughs> to which emily quickly says no um do we believe her do we believe that there was no drinking at caleb's surprise party at spencer's lake house oh i'm sure that there was <laughs> drinking absolutely but you know how do you feel about the way that this is this line is sort of tossed off about oh lucas called his parents and he's fine this to me felt like a weird like a weirdly um subtle way to reveal a pretty important piece of information and in some ways i think it might have been better if hannah and everybody thought that lucas maybe died until the end of the episode when he shows up in her bedroom well i feel like this is uh, lucas is kind of existing in this episode in the same place that Allie exists for most of this period like possibly dead possibly alive allegedly his parents have heard from him but we don't really like have any knowledge of where that info came from if they talked to him if he left a message like how real is this? So I, I do feel like uh, they're they're trying to make it so that we don't immediately think that Hannah killed him, uh, but also they're sure. kind of leaving it open uh, for whether he's dead or alive. To me, this felt like some sort of ominous foreshadowing of later in the series when like, you know, Jason would fall down an elevator shaft in the next episode. It's like, oh yeah, Jason is up in Bucks County with his grandma. Like, it's like these weird, like something really dramatic happens to a character. And then there's some one line explanation in the next episode about why we're not seeing the follow-up. Right, that. right. That is, I agree. That is uh, a hallmark uh, as the seasons go on. Um, we also have then Emily and Hannah bouncing, pretending they need to practice a group presentation at Spencer's house. Uh, also, I want to note that in the previous scene where Hannah had, uh, you know, been comforted with the pink fluffy robe and everything, Aria, who couldn't go to Caleb's party because she was grounded, was with them as they were comforting Hannah. So I, I made a lot of notes regarding Aria's like sometimes but not always convenient groundedness uh as as we go through so note in the next scene when they're at spencer's aria again seems to be like a free-range aria who is out and able to do things with the other liars 
That's such a good point because later Arya has a line about how she couldn't go over to Spencer's to call Ezra from Spencer's house. And yet later in that same night, the same sequence of that same night, she's at Spencer's. Yeah, her her grounding or not grounding is is really very perplexing as this episode wears on. Totally, totally. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, so we get this kind of artistic fancy shot of uh, prepaid cell phones falling out of a bag as Spencer deposits them onto her kitchen counter. She found these in the attic and the liars posit that um, A was in the attic and that that was the perfect place to set up an evil lair because it was empty a lot of the time. Spencer has found a receipt up there as well that proves that A was there while Halep were having sex, which I'm just going to say, Mona, watching Halep have sex is officially canon as of this episode. Everybody mark it down. Um, also, possibly Lucas having watched them have sex is canon as well. Uh, I was just really pleased for that confirmation. I also just love all of the dialogue here about, about them having sex. Uh, Spencer has the line, you know, well, you were fraternizing on my Nana's couch. And Hannah replies, okay, who told? Uh, and then Spencer makes some crack about, yeah, you were getting busy when Hannah notes that they were a little too busy to be paying attention to A. Which, once again, Spencer's particular interest and fascination in Haleb's sex life continues. This is absolutely a running theme with her character. I'd also like to note that Arya's outfit looks like she just stepped off of a production of Anastasia from the top half. But then she's going to yoga class with the bottom half. She has this giant fur stole and a big floppy hat. But then later, these, like, uh, like leggings with cutouts in them. It's a weird look. Anyway, Hannah seems delighted by all of this sex talk. But the liars continue looking at the receipt, discovering that A went to a spot in Philly. Arya offers to go check it out with Spencer because she's so much more invested in the mystery without Prezra around. Yes. Um, I like that Spencer says that the lake house, because her family never uses it after Labor Day, like it's the real estate equivalent of, you know, white shoes, uh, is the, the perfect place for an evil lair. And I feel like this is the first time we hear them talk about a lair in terms of where a you know where they base themselves so that's nice uh and also i have to say that the lake house i think is one of the better layer locales um i like that i like the rv too later and i i also of course like the the no tell motel um but i just think it's really it's really interesting that that's the first time we really hear about the layer also spencer calling out that there are four rooms with beds upstairs that haleb could have used i feel like why are you even saying that other than you would just prefer to picture them there <laughs> <laughs> totally totally yeah um, yeah four rooms with beds and they all have cameras in <laughs> come on um uh, yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I do feel like the lake house as the series goes on is kind of an underutilized location. I, I think, um, yeah, that could have been an interesting, like Spencer is a, or Spencer has an evil lair little like Easter egg. Thing. Yeah. This is a period of time when Jenna as like a dark presence is always looming over them, but we haven't seen Jenna in, in several episodes. I feel like with the lake house and with another, uh, another comment that's going to be thrown in later in this episode, we're supposed to also feel Melissa's presence looming. So I feel like the lake house mm -hmm. could also, you know, be a nod, be a nod to that. Um, 
Huh. Then at school, we have Spencer leaning against Ari's locker and listening sympathetically uh, to the tale of pretending Fitz was Holden. Uh, she perks up a little at the sound of Holden's name and knows that he was in Portugal. As they walk and talk, Holden himself appears and asks if Aria wants to go out that night. She can't because she's grounded again suddenly. But he says he already called to ask her dad and Byron said it was okay. I say this is gross. Do not go out on a date with anyone who like asked your dad first if it was okay to ask you. They banter about like, you know, they were in Europe. His parents want to return to kinder, gentler, more sexist manners, I guess. Um, but they they have this moment where they're talking about eating paste as children, how polite his parents want him to be. And uh, really my takeaway from the scene is that Spencer seems A, charmed, and B, like she would go out on this date with both of them if Aria or Holden would ask. <laughs> After he leaves, Aria wonders uh, if it's weird uh, she asks this because she tells Spencer they have known each other forever. I pretend she's talking about whether or not she should date Spencer here, as does Spencer, who responds that Arya is cute and he likes her. Sparia forever. Yeah, this uh, Spencer, I feel like, really saves this scene because without Spencer here, this is just like kind of a gross scene. I feel like in 2019, Holden's parents are probably MAGA people um, with all of their, you know, wanting things to go back to, to, to the way it used to be. Make America great again here. Um, also, yeah, Spencer is just doing all these facial expressions in this scene. She also has kind of like a Paige McCullers-esque swivel at the end of this scene. Um, I feel like, uh, I feel like there's, there's some vibes here between, between Spencer and Aria. And also I feel like that Holden Mike fic I pitched last week has a, has a B side. That's the, uh, the Aria Spencer start to date in the wake of this whole Holden situation thing. Yeah. By the end of the episode, there's someone else I feel Spencer should date, but we're <laughs> not to get ahead of ourselves. Well, also, this is also will come up later in this episode. But Holden and Arya's whole flirtation is like based around them bonding over these old childhood memories. It's like you ate glue, you ate gummy bears. Like it's really weird how you would think that they would want to sort of move past that and see each other in a slightly different light. But it's like all these old timey kid stories really gets their motors going. I mean, but does it, I, we talked in the last episode when we first saw Holden about whether or not our headcanon is that Holden's character is gay. And I really feel like it's a point for the fact that he is that all of his interactions with Aria are based on like, weren't we such fun buddies when we were in kindergarten? Which I don't think is like something that is really going to like slake the coals of teen romance, but to, to each their own. <laughs> but that's, that's just my feeling on it. You know, maybe, maybe Holden has heard that Aria like has some weird stuff around, you know, like older people and younger people and, you know, her whole fits thing and like, is 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 interpreting that in a really weird way i don't know i feel like the writers just really wanted to hit the point they are the same age and so like of course what the only thing you would have to talk about with someone who is your same age is like when you ate paste when you were both five years old or when you both ate gummy bears when you were both children yeah it's 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 really weird 
It's really weird. So it does not feel like we leave this uh, this Sparia scene uh, to go visit another pair of homoerotic best friends on accident because we go over from them over to Mona and Hannah who are talking in the hallway. Poor Mona is very concerned that Noel might be acting sketchy and all she wants is her best friend Hannah to listen to her and Hannah is way too distracted. Um, Mona says, what, Lucas? Who cares? Which, my thoughts exactly, Mona. And also... If Mona did was trying to orchestrate Lucas getting possibly murdered by Hannah, that seems ex- like exactly the attitude that Mona would have. Mona says that she had to take Noel skinny dipping to get his attention, but Hannah is further distracted by somebody carrying off her homecoming portrait through the hall. Uh, this dude reveals that the administration doesn't think tiaras and orange jumpsuits are a good fit. Oh man, you know, you get caught with a shovel one time and just everything goes away. Mona very hilariously snaps, she's not giving up the crown. Um, But when this person kind of walks away, Mona continues to try to talk about Noel. Hannah is not listening. Mona is super hurt that Hannah won't listen to her. She has a lot going on too. You don't even know Hannah, like a lot going on. Um, And then she accuses Hannah of being selfish and Hannah goes off to the bathroom to cry, which is so great because Hannah is being wounded by Mona in her Mona face. And later in this very same scene, basically, she's going to be wounded by Mona as A. Yeah, this scene is great. There are so many layers. I especially like the way that Mona snaps at that kid. She is not giving up the crown, which A, no one had suggested. And B, this kid is certainly not the decider on. <laughs> like, he's, he's just some teacher's aide who someone told to go move this picture into storage. Um, so I love that Mona does that basically to plant that seed in hannah's brain like mona is doing that in that moment to like show i'm a good friend i'm defending hannah but really she's like being super sneaky and like putting the kernel in hannah's mind that they might like strip her of the homecoming crown yeah i i kind of like this kid this episode has a lot of like weird supporting characters that don't really get a lot to do but i i kind of like that this like slightly gossipy teacher's aide who's like you didn't hear it from me but here's the the word that's coming down from upstairs like i kind of like him i do too and i like mona here i like mona leaning on hannah for this like actual you know like teenage drama that she's having of thinking that Noel's interest is sliding off of her and and genuinely worrying that she might be about to lose him. Now, whether this is true, whether this is a story that Mona's making up, we don't really know the details of, of what's going on behind the scenes here. But this is a situation where you do want your best friend to pay attention to you and where Hannah is kind of falling down on the job, for sure. What's your headcanon about this whole thing with Noel like do you think that Mona and Noel were actually into each other do you think that um this is all a fabrication do you like what do you think is going on here I think they were having a great time uh and I also think that we have uh we know you know we know given hindsight that Allison is alive and we know that Noel is someone who was working on her behalf uh in a in a similar way to how shauna was working on her behalf i think it's super interesting that shauna gets close to Paige by dating her and noel gets close to both jenna and mona by dating them so i kind of had canon that noel 
might be one of Allison's minions who is trying to investigate possible A suspects. Oh, that's a really interesting idea. But it's not just maybe Mona playing him, but he's playing her a little trying bit. Trying to, yeah. Or trying to, yeah. Nobody plays Mona Vanderwall. I mean, Bait. maybe, maybe except Hannah. Because, yes. It, but in a slightly different way. <laughs> So true. So true. Um, Meanwhile, in the courtyard, Emily's phone rings. When she answers, a voice tells her they have a problem. Emily, who is this? Caller, you work for the crisis hotline. Don't I get to stay anonymous? Emily, who really like seems to believe this is a thing that's happening, says this is a (laughs) private number. And I'm actually a completely untrained volunteer who's already committed several significant privacy breaches because the calls are supposed to be anonymous. Caller says, a private number, so I can say anything I want, even if it's something dirty. Emily finally gets it, because the caller, like, dialed it up to an 11 there, and says, Maya? (laughs) To which, if I were Emily's girlfriend, I'd be sort of like, uh, yes, how many ladies do you have calling you offering to talk dirty, Ms. Fields? Then again, we don't know what Mona gets up to in her spare time. (laughs) Or Paige. Or Spencer. (laughs) This could be an extremely common occurrence for all we know. So, okay, fine. It's Maya. (laughs) Emily. Or Allison. Or Allison. Yes. (laughs) I mean, Emily could constantly be picking up her phone and just hearing, like, really filthy suggestions of what all of these women want to do to her for all we know like emily field's number is like scrawled across every bathroom in rosewood we don't we don't know um but anyway uh they discuss whether or not they are going to go to see a band that night and emily very adorably asks if maya is going to say it something dirty and then emily like you know Maya goes up again to her like 9 to 11 place and says she'd rather whisper it in Emily's ear when they see each other later, uh, which is how we know that they're going to see a band that Maya likes tonight. Maya gets another call that she seems to feel sketched out about, uh, but then ignores. She asks if Emily has a fake ID and then if she can get Maya one as Maya's parents found hers and took it away before sending her off to sober camp. Emily says that she thinks she can get one and they flirt back and forth but do not, alas, talk dirty. Also, just like, LOL at secretly 45-year-old Maya needing a fake ID. Like <laughs> The Maya fake ID subplot, I feel like, is one of the funniest of this episode, especially because of the way that Emily later goes to obtain one for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want. I really want the little, like, flashback scene of them all. Well, no, I guess we did get the flashback of them all getting their fake IDs because Allie gave them to them. Yeah, when they were going when they were going to the fraternity party that apparently due to Pennsylvania liquor law cards people at the door. <laughs> and I'm going to assume that Noel got, I mean, that absolutely seems like a Noel Khan job, right? I, Hooking some girls up with some fake IDs. I definitely think so. Possibly, like, yeah. possibly joint with Ian because he was always taking pictures of people true yeah maybe like eric khan could have been involved i mean there's a lot of headcanons we could spin about eric khan um so hannah is still in the bathroom having a tearful moment that's now going to turn into a slightly scared moment as she hears some weird noises she calls out water starts to spill all over the floor which hannah does not seem super grossed out by but i would be super grossed out by bathroom water suddenly being all over my shoes 
Um, when Hannah comes out of the bathroom stall, the sink is absolutely spilling over with water, and there is a tiny wooden boat floating in it. Hannah gets an A text. Life is but a dream, but I'm your worst nightmare. Oh, this is such a good A gambit. And like Mona, my goodness, she's an impressive, impressive menacer because she was just yelling at Hannah in the hallway a minute ago. And look at what she's done. I mean, maybe this was Lucas, but I prefer to think that this was Mona just, you know, spinning herself into her hyper-adrenalized reality here. A hundred percent it's Mona. Mona was right there. Mona saw Hannah go into the bathroom to cry. In fact, Mona might have engineered that scene to end right where it did so that Hannah would have a conveniently located bathroom with a really long sink uh, that Mona could pull out her, like, carefully whittled rowboat that she has that she, like, placed in there. Uh, Toby! Toby! (laughs) (laughs) Toby is on the A-team alert. (laughs) Furious, furious over the fact that Spencer did not accept his rocking chair. Toby has taken on a commission via Craigslist to whittle anything that the A-team needs at this point in time. (laughs) But I also have a question. Uh, The scene cuts out, but does Hannah just leave this whole mess for the next person that comes into the bathroom? Like, does she even turn off the taps? It just turns into, like, that scene in the shape of water here. Like, it's just the whole room. I mean, I think that there's, like, Um, a really good chance. You know, later, like, you know, much later, uh, there's a whole thing about, like, is is A the janitor or is the janitor a minion of A? And I just have to say the janitor would have a lot of reason to be upset if they later had to clean this up because Hannah just, like, bounced out of the bathroom without taking any action whatsoever. I would not be surprised if she was just like, I can't, you know, and just like ran out of there. My goodness. Um, Aria is now in the courtyard. Oh, all my my scenes are in the courtyard here. Uh, Aria is in the courtyard buying tickets for an Arthur Miller play because Holden said uh, they could do anything she wants. And what she wants is to go to a play that she knows Prezra also has tickets to attend that evening. Uh, Spencer is annoyed that Arya is getting better cell service than Spencer is and makes her trade seats as she again tries to download the train schedule for Philadelphia. Uh, Arya checks and says the next train is in 20 minutes. They should get going and Spencer huffs cutely because Arya has the magic touch. Spencer and Arya are like in the most adorable rom-com in this episode and it's like they just I can't so quite agree. figure it out. Yeah, they are such a fun duo. I love them so much. Um, So in the Marin kitchen, Caleb is here. He is talking about how Lucas called. And he talks about how staying at at Lucas's house has been really awkward, as if it wasn't previously. And I'm just picturing that conversation. Like, Caleb comes home from the party, and Lucas's parents are like, hey, Caleb, where's Lucas? And Caleb's like, yeah, sorry, Lucas's mom and dad. You know my girlfriend who your son is completely obsessed with? Well, she kind of had a party and your son kind of threatened to kill her and she kind of hit him into the lake with an oar and we kind of don't know if he's alive (laughs) or dead. Sorry, off to bed. Um, So, uh, but apparently Lucas wouldn't talk to Caleb, but Caleb wants to look for him. Once again, like Caleb is a way better friend than Lucas deserves. Um, Lucas isn't actually staying at his cousin's house is what they believe. They think that Lucas's cousin is covering for him. Hannah wants Caleb to back off and is very kind of hesitant to get into this. Caleb wants them to go look at the lake house. 
and he rightly deduces that Hannah doesn't want to find Caleb and isn't telling the truth. She won't talk about what happened in the boat or tell him the whole story. They have a fight once again about her keeping things for him. And Caleb leaves with Hannah's parting words be that she can being that she he can go off and look at the lake house. Nobody is going to stop. Yeah, <clears throat> this is a, I wish that Hannah could just be honest enough to say that she thinks Lucas is full of anger and that there was a real moment on the boat when she felt afraid of him, because I think that's more than enough reason for her not to want to go mount up and make way for his return even without the specter of A. Um, also, the fact that Caleb solves this problem by storming out, uh, that, that was a moment where I was like, okay, this is like all of time exists simultaneously due to string theory, and New York time jump Caleb exists within this Caleb even now. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. I mean, so many of their scenes as the series yeah, goes on. Yeah, absolutely. Sparia are investigating but not finding any clues. Uh, Smitty's is a newsstand, although it's unclear whether or not they realize this. Uh, Spencer theorizes that A might have sent Lucas to a toy store down the street to get the talking dolls. Aria thinks that both Hastings' parents work in the city. Maybe they just bought gum and magazines. Spencer counters with the cell phones. Those didn't look like they belonged to her parents. Uh, Aria then mentions Melissa's condo being nearby. It's like 10 blocks away, uh, but Spencer completely ignores this. The way that the liars develop like a selective like ability to just not hear when people say that someone who's close to them might be A is really developing, uh, is really developing a pace here. Um, <clears throat> Aria, who is allegedly grounded but is now in Philadelphia with Spencer after school, is not able to sleuth further as she needs to meet Holden. Uh, she's not sure if she's doing the right thing by going out with him, but Spencer assures her that she's being bold and romantic. Hashtag date Spencer already. Um, once Aria leaves, Spencer notices a girl with a guide dog and a guy walking across the street with a white cane. Because she has conditioned herself to find blind people suspicious, Spencer makes haste to follow. Yes. Yeah, I love the detail of the accessible crosswalk beeping in the background. That's a great detail there, too. But yeah, this is a this is very interesting. We're, you know, I'm sure we will talk about this a lot as the rest of the season unfolds. But this really feels like one of the first drops in the bucket of maybe Melissa is a and we're kind of setting that up for the end game of the season. Um, I also love, you know, Spencer says, call me later to let me know how it all turns out. Spencer is so into this. She is so into knowing about Arya's love life. Um, yeah, and and I don't know why Spencer couldn't just come back to Rosewood with Arya. Like, obviously, they needed her to stay so that she could investigate the blind school, but she didn't know that at this point. And so she's just going to, like, hang out in Philly for the rest of the day, I guess. Is she going to surprise Melissa at her condo? Like, what exactly is Spencer's plan? Yes. Um. So we go back over to the uh, crisis hotline office. Emily is showing Maya the, the process of the crisis line. And it's this under like, like she's basically flirting with Maya as she's telling her how she like helps people in crisis, which, you know, whatever floats your boat, I guess. Uh, Maya gets another message. She looks concerned and has to leave to take it. She says, um, Emily looks on with concern, but they agree to meet up late. Yes. Um, I feel like that's a, I always think it's weird 
it's a thing that happens on shows like all the time, all shows, not just PLL, where someone's romantic partner meets them at work. I, I don't feel like that's like really a very common thing in the practice of dating. I feel like normally you would want to like go home and change and like meet them out at the location of your date. But, you know, whatever. Maya wants to get flirty over the crisis hotline. I okay she you know she might just like pick up the phone and talk dirty to someone who calls in that that could be a thing that easily happens (laughs) yeah it is weird how it's not like the crisis line ends up meaning anything for emily and maya's relationship and yet it like features heavily into their flirtation in this episode which is you know i mean spencer and toby have the nat club emily and maya have the crisis hotline i guess they're just trying to keep things spicy yeah yeah, true, true. Um, Spencer follows the trail of blind students to a school for the blind. And while I do not agree that all blind people are suspect, the creepy music of this segment and the way Spencer susses out this clue are both very nicely done. Uh, she enters the school, which has a painting of a possibly blind kid hugging a fish on the wall behind her, and a mean but ultimately incompetent receptionist who looks like a darker-haired Ariana Huffington. Uh, she will give Spencer no information on their patients, none, but fortunately, a guy sitting in the lounge hears Spencer asking about Jenna and mentions that he knows her. Do we ever get this guy's name? I don't think we do. Okay, I really liked this character, and I kind of wish he would have come back. Um, okay, so in the Marin kitchen, Hannah is washing out her water bottle for um, what we will learn is like the fourth time or something when Emily comes in. Emily says that Maya is keeping something from her. Hannah blows up over the fact that no one can keep a damn secret. Hannah seems to be on the side of Maya, uh, keeping things private if she's trying to protect Emily. Emily says it sucks, or um, Hannah says it sucks being the girlfriend who knows too much. Emily says it sucks just as bad being the girlfriend who doesn't know enough. Uh, I really like this. I like that they're sort of on either sides of this conflict, but it's not creating friction between them. They're both just kind of acknowledging, like, they, they, they can kind of have empathy for the situation of each other's partners. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, Hannah at one point says that Maya could be bugging for a hundred different reasons that have nothing to do with A, um, and also that if Maya's keeping something from Emily, maybe it's something Emily doesn't want to know. And Emily kind of snidely says, promise me you'll never work for a crisis hotline, which I think is mean and also ironic because although Hannah has been somewhat dreadful in this episode, uh, making me wonder if she's also being inhabited by the spirit of her post-time jump self, overall i would way rather ask hannah for advice in times of crisis than any of the other liars yeah yeah that's probably true aria would just be like go with your heart like, <laughs> love wins every time yeah and spencer would be like <laughs> spencer would like start interrogating you she'd be like hope breeds eternal misery <laughs> yeah and we, we've seen emily like emily would just be like oh look a butterfly and you know yeah it wouldn't go well emily would just like stare off into middle distance and not say anything <laughs> um but i also think that it's uh worth noting here uh i like hannah uh, having like washed out the water bottle so many times but feeling like it still smells wretched i feel like this is um this is a scene that it's it's great for like the the way that they're able to kind of like 
commiserate with each other and, and see the other's point of view. But it's also really great because it's a scene about the way that A is getting into their lives. Like Hannah has this secret that it's a burden to her that she can't tell Caleb. And she's basically doing a Lady Macbeth here. She's kind of trying to like, you know, do an out, out damn spot while she's washing this water bottle. And Emily has gotten so used to the A game that it doesn't even really register for her that there's a giant part of her life she's not telling Maya about. Uh, The secret Mm -hmm. is just totally sewn in to the fabric of who she is now. That's a really good point. And, you know, I feel like Hannah washing out the water bottle is uh, interesting foreshadowing of the whole Rollins, the aftermath of the Rollins thing when she's showering and Spencer is scrubbing the floor and even makes a Lady Macbeth reference. Yeah, I think this is like one of the few uh, early episodes that the post time jump writers ever watched because it does seem like there are a lot of like they just like caught this one on a rerun and they were like, okay, this is who the characters are. We we got it. Very true. Yeah, yeah. There are some some parallels, even to the point where, um, just tangenting briefly, but the last that we saw Emily and Maya, they had basically agreed to take things slow and just be friends. And this episode starts with Maya completely being at an 11 and talking about like whispering dirty things into Emily's ear and all of that. And it's like that even of the wild inconsistencies in the way that Emily's relationships are written, depending on like the merits of the plot uh, is, is totally a post time jump thing. Yeah. Especially because we haven't even seen Maya for several episodes. Like she was back, they were going to take it slow. And now like off screen things have apparently progressed to the point where, uh, you know, she's just calling her up and whispering, uh, whispering X-rated nothing is in her ear. Who knew? <laughs> Which is completely how both the Sabrina and Paige relationships played out post-jump. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, so now Spencer is getting coffee for the dude at the School for the Blind. And wow, he is really overacting blind. <laughs> he talks about Jenna And I feel like the less said about the scene, the better. But he gives her the info that Jenna was there. She's super impressive and made lots of progress in living as a blind person. Uh, And they aren't in jail. They can come and go as needed. Uh, Jenna apparently went out a lot. She had unknown and mysterious things to do. Uh, This dude, I I know you said you liked him, but I I think it's pretty awful. Not only in terms of the acting and the scene direction, but also because he tells a not funny joke and then shames Spencer into laughing at it. Um, As she's leaving, they do shake hands and he mentions that her pulse is racing. Also apparently a thing he learned how to do from Jenna. Uh, I just don't know what this is about. Is the show setting this up? Like this is how a real blind person behaves to indicate that Jenna can actually see because this dude makes a huge deal out of having Spencer say which o'clock the sugar is at demonstrating about the grains of the sugar being bigger than other sweeteners and apparently he cannot tell from the sound of spencer's voice where she is at any point during their conversation uh in hindsight i kind of feel like the way that the show treats jenna's blindness is a huge hint of how little they're ultimately going to care about any kind of representation in the long term yeah, that's fair. That's all totally fair. I think what I what I like about him is that I feel like this is the type of character that we don't get a lot as the series goes on, which is like he's not he's not a threat and he's not like 
I don't know. I just think that there's something interesting about his dynamic with Spencer, where he's not a, he's not a threat and he's not he doesn't have all of the answers, but he's like a different angle into a character that we like we only know the liar's perspective on basically. And I don't know. I just there's something that I find there's I I totally think I I totally see your com- your complaints about him, but there's something about him that I find kind of interesting in terms of his dynamic with spencer yeah we never uh we like i don't think we ever see him again so he's not like uh he's not like a lot of the other characters who are like conveniently here to give you a plot point and then go away and then come back and are evil like that pilot that aria is involved with later on and like you know like right like uh, all, all those types of people um so yeah i mean he's he's good for that but I also, I, I kind of feel like this whole situation, although I liked Spencer sussing out that the school for the blind was there and I liked the way that that was set up to happen. It's like, it's so convenient that this guy who can just give Spencer all this information is sitting there. And then the next thing that happens is that uh, as Spencer is leaving, the receptionist demands that she sign in as she sat and had coffee and was a visitor. All visitors must sign in via this extremely old school paper bound register that they have at the desk. There are so many paper ledgers like this all around Rosewood. You use one when you're buying a friendship bracelet. You use one when you're like checking into the Notel Motel. You use one here to sign in at the School for the Blind. None of which ever make a person sign their real name. Uh, anyway, Ariana is uh, conveniently called out of the room uh, to go, like, force Elon Musk to go to sleep or whatever. And then Spencer immediately <laughs> slides behind the counter and steals the sign-in book for the summer that Jenna was there. Well, the point of this, you know, eternally preserved sign-in process is both dubious and unclear. Spencer stealing from the blind is not a good look. Yes, very true. Very true. You know what I think it you know what I think it is that I like about this scene with this nameless boy is that to me it has very very pale shades of the scene when Arya is pretending to be Anita in the pottery studio in that it's somebody kind of letting their guard down around a liar because they don't they don't sort of know their true intentions and so they're just kind of talking with them openly and in doing so giving away this information that they maybe shouldn't be giving away and yet spencer spencer is kind of caught off guard by this guy like she's not she's not really sure how to play the game with him i guess because he's being i mean maybe because he's blind but i think also because he's just like she doesn't have to interrogate this guy he's just talking to her openly and like spencer's not used to that you know and so i kind of like that and she's not used to people thinking that Jenna is good, that Jenna is a force right. for good. So Spencer really seems to feel like this guy is blind in more ways than one. Like he also uh, he also doesn't seem to realize that Jenna has like superpowers of evil. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yet there maybe also is a part of her that's like surprised to hear somebody with this perspective on Jenna. True. True. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we go back to the Marin house where the other thing that's really weirdly inconsistent in this episode is the weather. Like, (laughs) depending on which house we're at, the weather is like doing completely different things. Um, but it seems that a storm is a Bruin. Aria gives her fake ID over for Maya 
She points out that she and Maya look nothing alike. Emily points out that they're both 5'2 and brunette. And then when she reveals that they're going to Jersey, Arya's like, oh, Jersey? Yeah, that'll totally work. Don't worry about it. Um, Hannah, yeah. As Hamilton says, everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> also, it's apparently a place where the bouncers just live in a post-racial utopia. I guess so. Yeah, doesn't doesn't seem to bother them. Um, also, like, makes it very clear that well, the liars don't know any other black people that <laughs> yeah that this is emily's go-to well, and i would like to point out that not only have the montgomery parents not gone through aria's phone since learning about fits they also have not gone through her purse they are solving this problem with patchily enforced grounding policing her wardrobe and pimping her out to holden worst parents also, like, if they had done any of those things, like looking through her phone or through her purse, they might have discovered the existence of A, which is a thing that Ella was already worried about. Worst parents, the worst. Yeah, they were like, well, we grounded Aria for like a day. It's probably fine. Like, <laughs> let's not worry about it. Like, we've done it. We've done a good job. They can't be expected to pay attention to their children for like two episodes in a row oh heavens forbend we wouldn't want to tamper her free spiritedness like you just gotta let aria be aria you know can't be surprised that this is the person she turned into <sighs> um anyway hannah clearly doesn't want to be alone she's like checking the locks on the doors she's freaked out both aria and emily offer to stay with her um they ask if she if they've um if hannah has asked mona to sleep over and Hannah says that Mona is still mad at her. Hannah, I think Mona would totally sleep over if you called her and said that you needed her. She would be here in a flash. Try again. Um, once again, Aria makes mention of being so disbelieving that Lucas could be dangerous when Hannah talks about being kind of worried about him. Um, but Hannah says that the liars shouldn't cancel. Her mom will be home soon. Everything will be fine. She waves them off out the door. And Aria very sweetly reminds Hannah about SOS when she gives her a hug before she leaves. This is a very sweet scene between the liars. As hilarious as the fake ideas. This is a nice friendship scene between them. Um, but I, I wish that Hannah would be more honest with everybody about Lucas in this episode. Because now that she understands how creepy he was being, I think she has a much better sense that he is almost for sure going to be coming for her. Uh, I feel like it's a little sloppy on the part of the liars, and especially of Spencer, who is very convinced that Lucas was no good, to leave Hannah alone so that she can track down, like, a whole lot of nothing. Well, it also feels like the way that they're handling Lucas in this episode, to me, has some, again, sort of ominous shades of the way that they'll later handle Prezra later in the series, where it's like, we know that Luke, we the audience, like it, it, people who are watching the show with this critical lens, like we know that Lucas is creepy, not just because he destroyed Allison's memorial, but because he is creepy. Like he has been creepy to Hannah. He's been, he was creepy to Allison. He was creepy to Emily. Like we know that he's creepy because he's shown us in many different ways that he's creepy. Similarly, later in the series, the evidence that Prezra is you know, quote unquote creepy is the is the whole book thing and the surveillance and all of that. And we as the audience are supposed to look at that as like, he did this one creepy thing, but he's this great guy in all these other ways. 
versus the fact that like we know he's creepy because he's been creepy all along and it's like in both of these cases we're looking at this one we're looking at it as like we're the characters are looking at it as this one instance this one isolated instance of like bad behavior but he's a great guy otherwise versus the fact that like no everything that this person has been doing is uh is gross and manipulative and uh entitled and inappropriate you know what i mean i do there's a line from jane austen where one of the characters is described as being so personally charming uh that like uh one of the dashwood girls starts to think better of him and she even like kind of thinks to herself which is like more in line with his wishes than with his desserts like you know like the show is constantly saying like think about the characters how they want you to think of them not how you should actually Mm -hmm. think of them based on Mm -hmm. their actions which is uh like there's just boundless redemption and boundless chances available for characters like lucas and ezra which really um feels extremely ridiculous after a while and which feels ridiculous to me already in this episode Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah the idea that other behaviors of Lucas would not point to him potentially being dangerous or violent or having, you know, less than favorable intentions or ideas about the liars is really like really ridiculous because there have been so many instances already just here at the beginning of, you know, to be where he's, he's proven himself to be creepy. You know? Yeah, and we know, like, we know he's a minion. We know that the liars are 100% correct in their conclusion that he's a minion. And yet, dudes just get the benefit of the doubt. Forever and ever, amen. Well, and it really feels like, you know, playing into the whole incel thing, where we're just supposed to see Lucas as this harmless little guy. Like, oh, can't he just catch a break? Like, he's just, he just means so well. Nice guys always finish last, don't they? And... In reality, he's a really dangerous character. Yeah, and uh, it's like, well, he maybe did, you know, he maybe did a bad thing. He was maybe being a little creepy, but then Hannah knocked him into the water and he had to swim to shore. And so that he's like cleansed. He's cleansed of his original sin of creepiness by the fact that he was in the lake water. And that that's like enough. He's fine now. Everything's good. Right. And, and I mean, to be fair, like the creepiness in the last episode, this is a trick that the show will pull over and over again, where a character, there's like one or two episodes where a character is supposed to seem menacing. And so everything that they do is tinged as being menacing. I mean, Paige McCullers gets this treatment at all points throughout the series, basically. Um, but yeah, with Lucas, I feel like there's other contexts that we need to look at. Yeah, it's interesting the way we were talking about the the fabric of A being, like, part of who they are now. Like, they become so suspicious of everyone eventually, everyone who's not one of the liars, that everyone seems equally suspicious, as opposed to how Lucas should actually be seeming, like, even more suspicious mm-hmm. because he actually is guilty. Right, right, exactly, exactly. Well, anyway, end rant. <laughs> Well, end rant, begin new rant, because I have a lot to say about the playhouse. Oh, okay. Go for it. Okay, Holden is for sure gay, as we discussed earlier. (laughs) Aria some gummy bears, which are, I feel like, one of the less romantic snacks that one could bring. Also, bringing gummy bears to, like, a play, like a a live (laughs) action entertainment that you're going to see in front of you 
seems also weird to me like i mean like does he have hard candies in his purse as well like <laughs> hey, grandma <laughs> i thought i thought you were gonna say he's for sure gay because gummy bears are the gayest snack. oh well that okay i would also i, I would also uh accept that as an answer <laughs> Oh, but Ari goes and gets their tickets from Will Call, and I think it would have been much better if the tickets were electronic and Mona made Aria have to sit next to Fitz, but, you know, whatever. Uh, as she's turning away from the ticket stand, she catches sight of her adult man, former English teacher, who's been, been manipulating her into a relationship for the purpose of writing a true crime book, and the music swells, and they look at each other for a weirdly long time, <laughs> what is probably supposed to be romantic or passionate but which still had me hoping for him to be nabbed by Dateline at this very moment. Well, I was just, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say, so Arya looks delighted. Ezra looks terrified and possibly angry. Well, yeah, because he has no genuine emotional connection to her. She's just a means to an end for him to write his book. And he's worried that her dad might call the police and all of his surveillance equipment would probably be discovered. Um, but Arya starts walking towards him in slow motion but then holden cuts in having just run into the teacher who previously went with presra to the author coffee she chats with them about a view from the bridge which she says is one of her favorites wow is this lady okay <laughs> is she being kidnapped and trying to send a distress message i have seen view from the bridge twice and although the world contains multitudes i am very upset at the idea of someone claiming it as a favorite especially because she goes on to hint that it has a lot of misplaced passions oh god those are the words that these writers put in her mouth to describe a play wherein spoiler alert an uncle harbors a strong sexual desire for the orphaned teenage niece who lives under his roof and is yet described by the narrator as a good and pure man. He also, in a fit of homophobia and xenophobic, you know, rage, again, wanting to sleep with his underage ward because he has not had sex with his wife for three entire months, calls the immigration authorities on several undocumented immigrants, one of whom he tries to kill. This is not a love story, and neither is Ezria. Oh. <clears throat> Teacher lady greets Presra, and everyone goes in. Yes, I, I, um, I do kind of love the little shot of Arya looking over at Prezra during the line about misplaced passion. I mean, it's, it's terrible, but it's also like great in, in terms of if you read it as Prezra being terrible. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is very, like, it's very questionable as to whether this was like intentional by the writers to be like, Oh, you think this is a love story? Well, really it ends in a bloodbath. Um, or if this was just them being like, LOL, they're going to go see a thing about an older guy who has a thing for a younger girl with a power imbalance. Woo. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Oh, and, oh, but it's yeah. also super interesting in that with our idea that Holden is gay, it is really interesting 
that uh, the protagonist of A View from the Bridge accuses his niece's uh, love interest of being gay, like, throughout the play. Hmm. That, that might be another, like, subtle parallel, uh, if the writers were paying attention, which probably they weren't. Well, and also that um, Holden, Holden seems to have some radar for romance that dare not speak its name. I mean, um, to be fair, Presria uh, has all the subtlety of a hand grenade, as, Hannah, as uh, Spencer would say, in this scene. But um, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't escape Holden. It does somehow escape the teacher, who is just... She's awful. Like, she's an awful person in every scene that she's in. Like, she's talking to the kids about how, how great the misplaced passions in this play are, but oh, I don't know. I, I think she's not okay. No. I agree. Oh yeah, you get you get this next scene. Oh my goodness. Oh man, I love this scene. Okay, so Spencer is leaving the train station. It is suddenly nighttime. It's pretty stormy. There's lots of wind blowing. First I thought she was supposed to still be in Philly, but no, it looks like she's home now wherever the rosewood station drops her off um she's feeling a little sketched out it's super dark she walks to her car she gets her keys she turns around at a noise when she turns back around mona mona vanderwall is standing there spencer how random you were on the train from philly i didn't see you we could have sat together oh mona god bless her uh, mona says that she was doing some therapeutic shopping she can't get a hold of hannah which is interesting because Hannah was so convinced that Mona was still mad at her, but clearly Hannah hasn't been trying her or maybe Mona is lying, you know, could be either. Um, Mona said, Hannah or Spencer, you know, asks if Mona wanted to give Hannah a message. Spencer says, never mind, but Spen Mona says, never mind, but Spencer presses and Mona starts crying saying that Noel broke up with her and uh, she went shopping and she ended up with all these cashmere blend sweater sets. She doesn't even wear sweater sets or blends. Spencer breaks out the tissues and says that she thinks that Mona can raise the bar and do better. Mona very sort of tragically says, do you know how hard I have to work to get a guy like Noel Kahn to go out with me? And Spencer replies, if you've become the Mona you want to be, why are you letting Noel Kahn tell you you're not good enough? Mona kind of straightens up, gives Spencer a look and replies, wow, you're smart, smart. I always thought you were just book smart. This scene Oh my God. I mean, it's just, it's so, it's so good. Um, Mona offers Spencer a sweater set. Spencer says that she's good. Um, and they part ways with Mona tossing off a thank you to Spencer as she leaves. So this is clearly where Mona decides that she wants Spencer on the A-team, right? I mean, she definitely decides that she wants Spencer, whether it's for the A-team or not. Uh, yeah, I... I don't know. Did you see a different version of this scene than I did? Because I have in my notes that um, she offers Spencer the cashmere sweater set blend and Spencer feels for Mona's sorrow. So she agrees to go over to Mona's house for an impromptu fashion show that will include a lot of taking off their shirts to try on the sweaters. And then when it turns out that one of them has a particularly nice patterned necktie that... Oh, um, wait, sorry. <laughs> Sometimes okay. the fiction writes itself. What version of Netflix are you watching PLL on? Because I think you need to hook me up. 
Oh my God. I just like, first of all, I mean, you take two actors who have chemistry with a brick wall and like, you're going to have a winner. Like these two Mona and Spencer scenes are always completely electric whenever they happen throughout the series. But this is really the first time that we've seen them interact in a not entirely antagonistic way. And it is just fantastic. I love all the layers at play here. Is there, is it a tissue that Spencer hands her or is it a handkerchief? Either way, it is extremely chivalrous. Oh, completely. I mean, you know, and, and Spencer, you know, she was learning earlier in this episode that chivalry is not dead. So maybe she was just to court, to court Mona here. Um, by you know the Holden's parents rules yeah this is a phenomenal scene and also like further proving my point that the post jump writers watched this episode on a rerun and no other episodes uh the line about how Spencer didn't see Mona there's a callback to that exact line post jump when Mona says that uh she saw Spencer at the Kennedy Center uh in in DC and she waved but Spencer didn't see her well, and also just post-jump, there are a lot of Mona Spencer vibes, like a lot. And um, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I just, I, I just think it's so, um, it's so fascinating watching this scene, knowing that Mona is A, and knowing that this is a moment where Mona is maybe seeing Spencer in a different light. That like Mona... I, I, I think that Mona understands that the liars all are different, but I also think that there's this way in which she always kind of mentally lumps them together as like the people who stole Hannah from her, you know, and that's kind of the bucket that they live in. And that here she's seeing Spencer kind of individually from that. And it's like, I mean, you could read this scene as this is Mona, like kind of starting to fall in love with Spencer a little bit. Well, I definitely agree. Also because Mona definitely had a plan in this episode. She was talking to Hannah about how upset she was earlier about how Noel was on the verge of breaking up with her. Uh, She was having all these boy problems. Hannah, she has made sure in many ways is like spending this episode being terrified that Lucas is going to come after her. She's going to have to be home by herself for, you know, some point of the evening and Mona actually even also sent her uh, an, like an SOS call me message that Hannah ignored earlier. So I think Mona was definitely hoping that Hannah was going to invite her over to spend the night and that she was going to get to spend some quality time with Hannah. That's why Mona is upset here. It doesn't really have anything to do with Noel. It has to do with the fact that Hannah chose nobody over being with Mona. And so now Mona is kind of like feeling a, a vacant portion of her affections and in Spencer kind of sees someone who may be able to uh, not only roll with her Mona face, but maybe also with her a face. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, with the, 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 the uh, comparison to the time jump, that's so apt because I feel like that's really a dynamic that's at play post jump is that Hannah is really, Hannah does not fare very well in the time jump. Like the Hannah that comes back in six B is, not the greatest version of Hannah. Um, I think Ashley Benson was a little bit over it at that point. Um, And you really, I mean, I really sort of interpret a lot of what's going on with Mona post jump is that she sort of is um, switching her focus a little bit to Spencer because she's Spencer is just more interesting at that point to her. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, Mona will always carry a torch for Hannah. Don't get me wrong, but like, 
there's there does seem to be a little bit of that dynamic to me post jump yeah yeah i would definitely agree with that and i am extremely disappointed here uh that spencer gets in the car and inexplicably seems to not offer to have rebound sex with mona vanderwall and we know that spencer likes to do it in cars so it's like come on spencer no i know oh man um Back over at the playhouse, the teacher is now talking about how nice it is that Arya and Holden are not like other kids who are probably at home watching their YouTubes. Arya uh, leaves Holden to do all the work of this conversation uh, until she's able to elicit the info that Fitz left 10 minutes into the show saying that he did not feel well. Well, and this teacher is like, has to, because... Everybody is contractually obligated to praise Mr. Fitz whenever he is not in the same space as them. And so she's going on about, Ari, you remember Mr. Fitz? Oh, Holden, you missed him while you were away. But like, oh, man, he was the bright, shiny star of Rosewood High for the brief time that he was here. Man, did we love that perfect guy. Uh, This teacher, as I've said, is is someone who could use a realignment of priorities, I feel. Also, it's so funny that, like, she presumably interacts with kids a lot because she's a teacher, and her conception of what they do when at home is watch the YouTubes. Like, what? <laughs> like granted, we did see Lucas and Hannah watching that video of the... Um, oh, God, I still think it's a skateboarding duck, even though I know that's not really true. Anyway, like... They watched YouTube videos for like five seconds in one episode, but all of the other teenagers on the show are constantly busy, like trying not to die slash going to see live bands slash helping out at crisis hotlines that they're not well-trained to do. Like they have a lot of other things to do besides watch YouTube videos. It's true. It's true. Um, So we go back to the Marin house that very darkened Marin house. There's sad music playing. The storm seems to be especially concentrated right over the Marin house. Like it's really, it's really getting intense. Hannah is calling Caleb, but she should really be calling Mona. We all know it. Ashley goes up to take a bath, but seems concerned about Hannah. Hannah calls Caleb again, saying that he shouldn't be out there looking for Lucas and she hopes he's okay. Uh, the door bangs open in the, in the, um, the, the door out to the porch bangs open. And wind whistles in the super dark Marin kitchen. Hannah goes to check it. She thinks it's just the latch that's broken. But lo and behold, we see there are muddy footprints on the floor. Okay, I have a question, an important question about the geography of the Marin house itself. Okay. 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 Um, So Caleb was previously sleeping in the basement, which is off of the kitchen. This is something we know. Um, Yes. Is Hannah's room on the first floor or the second floor? The second floor. In this episode, it's on the second floor. Has there ever been an episode where it was on the first floor? Because I don't think so. I felt like I felt like it was a little I, I was a little surprised because even when Hannah is like wandering around upstairs, it seems like she was like just in the living room and then all of a sudden she's in her bedroom. But all right, we'll just I just wanted to check and see if I was the only person who felt like the geography of the house shifts a little bit as the seasons go on. Yeah. I mean, it maybe, it maybe does. It maybe does. I think that we see, cause there are scenes where like Hannah's coming out of her bedroom and is like on the stairs and things like that. So I feel mm. like, um, yeah, 
I feel like that's weirdly the episode that I keep that I keep referencing is single fright female. But in in that episode, I distinctly remember a scene where she's like coming out of her bedroom and is on the stairs. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, oh, so now in line in New Jersey, uh, Emily and Maya are holding hands and Maya gets another call. Uh, Emily asks if someone is bothering her. Maya hedges and then admits that she hooked up with someone while she was away. She was lonely, etc. Uh, Emily is not bothered because they were apart. Also, she dated like at least two people herself and recently kissed her possibly not dead first love. So no judgment. Uh, Maya doesn't want this to get in the way of their fresh start. Emily promises it won't as long as it's over. Uh, Maya confirms that it is, but says this guy isn't taking no for an answer. Uh, I'm telling you, she was a D-gaying camp. That's just, that is my headcanon, and I am sticking to it. Uh, Emily then gets a weird look on her face, which is like the cutaway, Emily having this weird look. And like, what is this? Is that shot meant to imply her being like worried about someone hassling Maya? Or is this her being worried about Maya having been with a guy? Because Maya's been pretty clear about her bisexuality from the jump, so I kind of feel like this is another weird directorial choice. Yeah, I think based on the next part of their storyline that this is meant to be an Emily is uncomfortable with Maya having dated a guy thing, which, I mean, it's not terribly surprising given the way that, like, this show totally doesn't understand and terribly mishandles bisexuality. Um, And the fact that, like, since Emily was dating Ben in the pilot and Maya had a boyfriend, I think maybe in Emily's, like understanding it's like oh we were just like these two lost gay souls that like found each other and like neither one of us would ever be involved with a boy again because that's like how emily feels um but yeah i think that this is meant to be a like much like blindness is always a threat bisexuality apparently is as well in the liar verse that is so horrifying because they have like one zillion bisexual characters all over the show and they are really bad at dealing with it for sure well and we'll talk about this i'm sure i know i've talked about this whether to you or on the podcast like in some ways i've talked about this but like the show consistently i feel like with their bisexual characters has their bisexuality be like a hallmark of their villainy and that is a really big problem yeah yeah for sure i mean and that's actually like that kind of demonstrates how jenna exists on this like venn diagram of evil like not only is she blind she's also bisexual so like the you know the concentration of evilness in her is very high right right and i think we see that play out with mona i think we see that play out with allison um i think we see that play out with maya in some ways i mean and I think we see that play out with um, with Jenna. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'm bummed that we get this whole scene of them standing in line to see the band where also it's not raining in New Jersey, even though it was like about to rain in the sketchy part of Rosewood where the train station was. Meanwhile, it was pouring over at Hannah's house. It's so rainy and muddy over here in New Jersey. The rains have not yet arrived. It's just still some ominous lightning. But I'm so bummed that we do not get uh, Maya, whether or not she gets into the club with Arya's fake ID, do you think that she does? Um, I think that she, I mean, I don't think that she necessarily would, but I think that she does because I think that 
we later learn that they did go to this thing. Maybe we don't, but it seems to imply that they did go to this band. Have you ever used a fake ID? I've never used a fake ID. Have you? Yes. When I was in college before I was 21, I used a fake ID. And I also... I also looked for someone who like had my same hair color and was like about my same height. Um, but it was not like, otherwise there was not a resemblance and it almost didn't work. Although they eventually let me in. Was it like a one-time thing or did you have a fake ID? That you no, used no, no, no. I didn't have a fake ID. I, I borrowed an actual ID from someone, but okay. uh, the problem was that my friend whose ID I borrowed, uh, it was expired and like she had not even realized that it was expired. So then I got like hassled. <laughs> I got hassled by the bouncer at the gay bar that I was trying to get into. So that was not good, but eventually they just felt bad and waved me in. Gotcha. Yeah. My cousin, um, my cousin, I remember he had a, and I like just like a fake ID that he had on him always that he would just like use and he would like use it in front of his parents. He was like very bold about it. <laughs> well, if it's the Montgomery's, I mean, what are they going to do? <laughs> they would probably buy it for him. <laughs> um, so back at the Baron house where it's like the storm of the century, it's, you know, not yeah the weather the weather is pretty inexplicable wait oh sorry back at the marins no i think you missed no, no. um oh gosh uh, i missed that uh, holden and aria scene <laughs> holden and aria holden suggests so it's not raining here either is it it's like no it's but he says it's about to get crazy out there so <laughs> whatever that means we don't know where the playhouse is in relation to the rest of Rosewood. Do, do you think that Mona just has like a storm machine attached outside of Hannah's house, which is why it's like raining so super hard outside the Marin household, but literally nowhere else at this time? Maybe Mona was like, maybe Mona's like very into like reduce, reuse, recycle, and maybe she gathered up all of the water <laughs> from the bathroom. <laughs> like she like siphoned it into a thing and was like, well, can't let this go to waste. Better use it for the rain thing later. And she like collected it into a rain machine and yeah. Yeah, that or or like she has a pump extending from the lake outside of the lake house yeah. to over Anna's house. And so it's just gonna like yeah, the lake is gonna like drain in into the rain that is falling there. Yeah, the lake is just completely empty, like over on over on the lake's lake house front town. So anyway, um Holden suggests coffee to an extremely distracted Aria who's like darting her head all around and like not looking at him and not really responding to any of his questions. Um, Holden points out, maybe you went out with the wrong person tonight. Um, He says that he like could tell that something was going on between Aria and her teacher, but is super casual about this reveal that Aria was dating her teacher. He's like, Oh yeah, you know, it happens. You were dating your teacher, whatever. Is Holden dating his teacher? Like he just seems very cool about this whole thing. Um, Holden reveals that he also has some stuff that he's keeping from his parents. It's officially time for a fake dating AU because he thinks that this is an opportunity. He asks what she's doing next Friday. Yeah, he does everything but like say, oh, I, I mean, I think he's hot too. Like we're we're like breath <laughs> of that, I feel like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it really does feel that way. Um, and yeah, this is uh this this feels like just a great a great fic come to life were it not for the presra of it all agreed agreed um 
go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and take us to the to the Marin house? Since you <laughs> the have Marin house. Backtrack for that terrible little. Uh, what what's our ship name for Holden and uh, and Aria? Do we well, have? I I guess it would be you are. Arden. Um, but really, I think it should be. I, I'm just choosing to, to look at all of these Haria scenes through the lens of Holden, Mike, and Sparia. Ah. I think that that's a, a much preferred way to, to read all of them. So I guess the the, the, the question would be Hike, hmm. Holden, and Mike. Yeah, yeah, I like Mike, that. Mike isn't even in or mentioned in this episode, but like, you know, why, why not bring him into this? Subtext. Uh, subtext, exactly. So. Someone sneaks into Hannah's bedroom as Hannah is upstairs, apparently now upstairs, uh, sneaking around. When she turns around and or when the person turns around, Hannah sees that it is Lucas looking sweatier than ever, uh, saying that he didn't want to hurt her. Meanwhile, downstairs, Caleb sneaks into the Marin kitchen looking around for Hannah. Um, he didn't bother to call Hannah, I guess. But Hannah, who has the... Um, who has her phone with her calls Caleb who's downstairs and now can hear Hannah. Um, Lucas says that he can't let Hannah leave this room. Caleb uh, hears on the phone call and he comes upstairs. Lucas says that he needed Hannah's help to help soften the blow when he tells Caleb. And we get this whole reveal that Lucas has lost both Caleb and his own money, $4,000. Lucas has gotten involved with sports betting uh, he reveals to them both once Caleb joins Hannah upstairs. This is a pretty unsatisfying resolution to this plot line. Uh, Lucas says that he lost everything and wanted to make things right. He's been driving around to different comic book stores selling his collectibles. He pulls out a wad of cash and hands it to Caleb. Caleb says that they'll work it out. And Hannah says, you're not who I thought you were. Which is a great line because uh, it's a pretty you know, devastating thing for Lucas to hear here. But also... In this moment, he's not the A, the A minion that Hannah thought he was. At least that's what Hannah thinks. But of course, he still is an A minion. I have a lot to say about this. First of all, why do none of these men knock when they're going to Hannah's house? Why does Lucas right. sneak in the patio door? And why does Caleb also sneak in through the patio door? Right. Yeah, I don't know. And... I actually think that Lucas may have had bad intentions here. I think he may have had bad intentions until the moment that Caleb walks in. Intentions to kill Hannah? To sexually assault Hannah? What are you thinking? I don't know. I I mean, I don't know that Lucas really... Lucas, I'm not sure if he is a killer or not. But yeah, I kind of do think that he is planning... uh, That he is is maybe planning to, you know, try to... uh, either nab hannah or you know have you know force her into kissing him or i I don't know he really does seem Mm. like the fact that he snuck in he didn't knock so ashley doesn't know that he's there the fact that he's telling her she can't leave the room like right i i feel like uh his his intentions uh are not correct here also this bizarre story about the the money which we didn't know that Caleb had left with him, uh, that it doesn't really make sense that Caleb left with him. And then Hannah didn't even know that Caleb, that Caleb left with him because Hannah also says what money when Lucas says that he lost it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, 
this is not it's it just feels like a you know like the air going out of a balloon or something you know because it feels so correct that lucas has been has been um you know having some bad intentions where hannah is concerned uh in this in these last few episodes he's been obviously this is we're supposed to to think, oh, this is why he was being so weird with Caleb in that episode with the swim competition, you know, and this is like, this is why he's been so weird around Hannah. And this is why he's been so distant. But to me, it feels so much more correct that he's been weird around them both because he feels weird about their relationship, that he feels this weird possessive thing towards Hannah. He resents Caleb because Caleb has, you know, the thing that he wants. And also Caleb is just a, uh, you know, cooler dude than Lucas will ever be. Um, and it feels really correct that that's where that resentment is coming from. Uh, and this supposed added context that's supposed to explain it all has always just felt like a real sort of backdoor excuse. Well, yeah, the story is so flimsy and so fishy because uh, if he didn't lose Caleb's money, then he could have just taken $2,000 out of the checking account and handed it to them and been doing anything the previous night, including all of the menacing that he's been suspected of doing. So there's like, there's just, there's no proof for the story. It's obviously a lie, uh, but because Caleb believes it, Hannah decides that she believes it too. Right. And I mean, it's one of those things where one thing doesn't cancel out another thing. Like, I feel like we're often in the liar verse acting like it can only be one thing. And it's like, it can be two things. Lucas can have betted and lost Caleb's money and Lucas can be a total creep and a minion of a. Yeah. We actually have already seen a use money to try to control Hannah herself. So right. if Lucas did lose this money, uh, that would be a great point at which a could slide in and blackmail him. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Mm. But for the time being, Lucas has been cleared. Yes, Lucas has been cleared by this extremely difficult to believe story, which Caleb and Hannah nonetheless accept. Um, it's hard, you know, it's, it's hard to believe that the guy who is constantly creeping around watching you have sex might <laughs> be up to no good. It's just difficult for them to wrap their minds around. Well, and once again, it's like this sort of weird thing that we've seen this dynamic play out where it's like Lucas is like Hannah and Caleb's child. Like they both feel super protective over him. And he doesn't deserve that. Truly, truly, he does not. Um, now over at Spencer's, Hannah is telling the others about how the correct suspect should now be crossed off the list. The others seem to take her at her word, which is weird, especially because Spencer had been so sure previously uh, that Lucas was on the A-team. But now Spencer doesn't care about that. She just wants to show them the sign-in book from Jenna's rehab center. Uh, the news from which is that there's no sign of Allison having signed in for the visit that Jenna claimed she made the day she went missing. However, Garrett signed Jenna out at 10.15 p.m. as if Jenna is a library book and then never signed her back in on the night Allie went missing. Uh, she could have been gone all night. The two of them could be the killers again uh hannah cannot look at possible evidence any longer without food aria again free from all restraint of being grounded grabs some plates and uh, they discuss jenna's previous story that ali blackmailed her to stay in rehab and that she didn't return to rosewood until the day of ali's funeral spencer is willing to bet that she was in rosewood the night ali went missing etc 
as they discuss, liars rip open their Chinese food containers only to find that they are full of soil and writhing worms. Oh, it is so gross and unexpected and also brilliant. Uh, it's even like at an unusual point in the episode. And the A message that immediately pings in is this is what live bait looks like, bitches. Now we're even. Uh, I really say outstanding menace, five out of five stars, would menace again. Uh, it's unique. It's opportunistic. Did Mona steal the food from the delivery guy? Did she pay him off? Did she mug him? Did she switch the food while she was hiding in his back seat? It's just so, so good. The liars are left hungry and freaked out and very disgusted. Oh, my God. Poor Hannah is never going to eat or drink anything again after this episode. She has just been through it. Uh, yeah, this is this is a great, creepy, um, it's, it's gross, it's um sort of bizarre it's um impressive like this is a really this is a really great little a trick here and it's just like especially with how stormy it's been all episode like everything just feels kind of muddy and gross and wormy and yucky and yeah it's it it completely like throws them off and and sketches them out and it's well done a well done yeah i really i really agree this is um it's also interesting because Hannah, uh, Hannah was targeted with lake water, and now Hannah is like, when this happens, Hannah says she's going to be sick. She like kind of motions to her mouth, like as if she might be like holding in some vomit. And it's so interesting that Mona, who knows that like eating is something mm. that Hannah uh, has, you know, had had eating disorder issues in the past, uh, that this is particularly a thing that is being used to antagonize Hannah in this episode. Right. And that at a time when Mona is feeling really frustrated with Hannah, it's like, she's, she's really punishing her in this deeply personal way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So live bait. I love, this is one of my favorite, a, uh, a shenanigans that they get up to. I also, uh, I really like when the school building menaces Emily. That's also one of my top, uh, one of my top A things. What What are some of yours? Do you have any any in particular? Oh my god, act normal, bitch. Um, I love that so, so much. Oh, and I love it's... the Christmas tree. I love the Christmas tree from uh, How the A's Told Christmas. The Christmas tree is really good. Um, I really like. Let's see, the thing that's going to happen later in this season when um, A sets up the, the whole alley doll, like digging her own grave thing in the creepy doll shop. I also love in the beginning of, I think it's season four, when A sets up that whole thing with those four little girls and their four dolls. And it's like, you don't know, like, has A been like stoking the friendship of these, like, these little girls for like their entire life? Like, how far reaching is this? Like, in reality, you know that A probably just like paid these kids off. But it's like, it's, I think it's really fun to imagine that like there's this whole, a's been like monitoring these girls and like pushing them together and some kind of like social experiment um i also do enjoy the a flash mob at the beginning of season five just because oh, yeah. it's so weird yeah that's a really good one too mm. yeah um yeah let me think if there's i mean there's so many but those are those are those are a couple of ones that i really love and i mean the dollhouse despite ultimately being like so problematic in so many ways there's some really great stuff in terms of just the cruelty of a yeah and the scope of a yeah definitely definitely agree 
Um, so speaking of A, we go to our A tag where A is loosening a bolt at a construction site, uh, clearly creating some kind of hate safety hazard that is going to impact uh, the Tobester. He is in trouble, which I really like the idea that now that Mona has set her sights on Spencer, Toby has to go. Yeah, isn't it so interesting, especially because Toby himself was not in this episode. Uh, so yeah, this is clearly her loosening some bolts in anticipation of getting Spencer to uh, wear some cashmere for her. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, and that is the episode. That is Let the Water Hold Me Down. And uh, yeah, certainly water water was a heavy theme in this one. It was, it was. Um I am really interested to see like what the rest of the season is going to hold for us because a seems to be getting a lot busier, not only, uh, not only in terms of like the intensity, we got several a messages and multiple uh, a hijinks here. We had the, the lake water in the water bottle. We had the sink and the whittled rowboat. And then we had the live bait at the end. So a is really like stepping it up and also Mona in her Mona face is more present. Right. Right. Yeah. It does feel like we're, we're getting into this kind of, even though it's still kind of the beginning of, of to be, we're really sort of heading into the last, the last end game. Um, the next episode is the problematically titled <laughs> blonde leading the blind. Um, which uh, I was kind of on honestly surprised this episode didn't make a blind leading the blind joke when Spencer was being led into the blind school, um, which is the episode I think where Toby, Toby gets hurt, right? Toby falls off because of what happened at the end of this A tag. I think so. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't really remember this episode that much, um, but yeah, I'm, I'm sure it will uh, continue ramping up the tension. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely will. We're The blonde leading the blind, we're getting into some bad episode titles because we also had, like, the last episode was a hot piece of A, which we thought was, like, maybe the worst episode title. But blonde leading the blind is also, uh, is also not the greatest. Yeah. Yeah, there are some good ones. I, I, I'm always a fan of the episode title Control A. Yeah. Uh, that's a good one. Yeah, I think there's like, there's some more stuff about the NAT Club coming up uh, in the next episode. And yeah, Toby Toby gets hurt. So to to be continued as, uh, as we continue to watch for whether or not Mona's affections are permanently shifting. Hmm. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if anybody has thoughts on whether uh, Maya would or would not have gotten into the club with Aria's ID, uh, or if you have any stories about using a fake ID yourself that was either good or bad, uh, or if you have any thoughts about uh, why it's raining at Hannah's house, but nowhere else, <laughs> or if you have thoughts on whether or not Lucas's story is in any way true, uh, you know, you can always uh, shoot us an email at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Yes, if you are if you are shipping uh, Spona in this episode or Sparia, which who do you ship more in this episode, Spona or Sparia? Oh, that's such a tough call. Um, I mean, Sparia has like longevity on their side because uh, they've been really great these first couple of seasons. But I have to say that the electricity, I mean, it's possible that all this thunder and lightning that's happening 
It's just like the electrical fields responding to the chemistry uh, that Mona and Spencer have. So yeah, I would, I would definitely say that it's probably a Spona. Yeah, I agree. It's always so exciting when Troy gets to share a scene with somebody who's not Toby Um, (laughs) because sorry, Uh, but like, it's just, yeah. And, and I feel like Troy and Janelle consistently have so much chemistry with whoever they share a scene with like I said earlier so when they get to share a scene with each other it's like oh my god like it's just like jumping off the screen okay now that we've seen like the full like to the point of PLL that you and I have viewed in our lives plus the season of the perfectionists that we uh slogged through who like who do you ship the most is it Vandermeeren is it Spona or is it Mona and Allison oh my god you're gonna throw me this question like right (laughs) in front of my salad um i (laughs) um oh goodness me van okay wait vandermeeren say right okay vandermeeren spona or mona and allison okay it's not mona and allison i think just because like i feel like they're opportunity was much shorter and also like anything with on the perfectionist is uh, immediate disqualification basically <laughs> um Marin or spona i mean i think for like the longevity of the series probably Marin. but i think for ultimately coming out of the series what felt the most possible like probably it does what would what would you say oh man it's really uh it's really hard i actually think that i would pick mona and allison only because i would rather have spencer and hannah wind up together post caleb okay that's very fair that's very fair yeah yeah okay well before we start just writing fic here at the end of our (laughs) (laughs) there's so many possibilities though i mean oh my gosh yeah yeah i mean yeah just get caleb out of there just get mason out of there agree sorry i'm sorry i'm gonna say it get emily out of there oh man by the time we get to by the time we get to that point it's not unwarranted but it's not um but anyway yes if you have thoughts on your favorite ship i mean because there's also sparia sparia is great too um, we would love to hear from you. Um, you can also check out our Instagram at Everybody A Podcast. You can send us in a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, yeah, and until next time. All right, till then.